0: Can you guys hear me all right? Cool. All right. Um, so, today I would like to spend some time in the book of James. So, James chapter 1, we're going to walk through verses uh, 1 through 18, uh, predominantly focusing on verses 12 through 18. So, if you all will go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, um, that would be fantastic. So before I delve into anything, though, um, I would like to open with a word of prayer. So let me do that. God, I thank you for, again, the privilege it is for us to come together as a church family. I pray that um, right now, Lord, that you would choose to work through me and uh, the truth of your word. That despite myself and uh, my sinfulness, my fallenness, Lord, that uh, your word, as you promised, would not return void. And that you just help us learn and grow. So I pray that you would help us to uh, quiet our minds, uh, quiet our hearts, and enjoy this time, Lord. I thank you for those that are here. Again, I pray for those that may be watching from home, that you would be with them. And just those that are traveling, Lord, that you would be with them as well, Lord. So we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright, so I would like to, I'm just going to read through verses uh, 1 through 18, again. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. I'm just going to read through those so we have those in our mind, uh, and then I'll spend a little bit of time giving an introduction, and then we'll just walk through the text. So, James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings With no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the ration his humiliation. Because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So the reason why I felt like the Lord impressed this passage on my heart is it's really a, um, a variety of different reasons. But one of the, the overarching themes that we we read um, clearly in verse two, and it's repeated again in verse 12, is when it's referring to trial. Verse two says, "Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds." And verse 12 says blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which god has promised to those who love him and so i think uh it's just all of us face trials throughout this life uh we're not exempt from trials we're not exempt from challenges we're not exempt from hardship um i think of james right now uh Not the book of James, but James Presley. And I mean, him just reaching out to the the men of Everglades thread that we have and expressing, he's sick. He's struggling. He's having a hard time. He's going through a trial. And that's just one example. I'm sure this week, every single one of us, young and old, could attest to some sort of trial, probably multiple ones that we've gone through. I'm going to take a moment and just completely throw myself under the bus right now of a particular trial uh, that the Lord used in my life this week. It was, uh, was really neat the way the Lord ended up using it. So just a few days ago, Tom reached out to me asking if I would also be willing to preach up at Brighton. Our church has been helping uh, Brighton Baptist up there, small congregation. And uh, because of so much of leadership being away, there really wasn't anybody else to, to fill that spot. And I'll just be completely honest if wrong, but uh, my knee jerk reaction was, was basically, I, I really don't want to, you know, I've already, I, I've got my kids, I've got other things I'm committed to. This week's been crazy. Uh, that that just sounds like a bit too much. Uh, but I let him know if there's nobody else to do it, sure, I'd be willing to do it. Yesterday, we were messaging back and forth, trying to figure out the details and, in the midst of the other circumstances I had going on I was just I was frustrated I was stressed out I was having a hard time and I was talking with my wife Stephanie and I made the comment of, uh, I, I just I just don't see the point I don't I don't understand and, and just expressing some of the the burdens on my heart and uh my son Titus ends up Chiming in, he says, but dad, don't you remember the story that we read during family worship about the man that went and preached at a church and there was only one guy there and he still decided to preach and it changed that man's life. And I'm not going to lie. I just, I had to sit there quietly. I was choking up slightly because of my five year old son speaking truth that I needed to hear. Uh, the conviction the Lord was doing in my heart of my selfishness, and right, right it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Uh, God's word does not return void. He is faithful to do a work. And uh, I, I just continue to learn from that one circumstance, that one trial that I was going through. It, there's just layers and layers of things that we can learn and grow from so long as we have the right perspective. There's lots of other trials that we face that um, we may have yet to understand why we are going through that, have gone through that, will go through that. Uh, Whereas there's lots of other circumstances where it may be an hour later, it may be a day later, it may be a week later, a month later, years later, that we can look back in hindsight and see, yes, now I see why that was worthwhile. I see how that trial that I was going through was used for good. That doesn't negate the fact that in the midst of that trial, it is hard, that it is challenging. The feelings you're feeling, the thoughts that you are feeling, they're very real. And that's where I think we as Christians need to be careful not to be too dismissive, too spiritual, and say, well, God works all things together for the good of those who are called. That It'll work out. I'll pray. Those are good things. Those are truths, but we also need to understand that human element of it's hard, it's challenging, and to meet somebody where they're at, to exercise tact, love, compassion, to meet them where they're at, such as Job's friends, sitting in the ashes with him for three days. We don't need to fall into the, the, the folly that they went into that Tom's been helping us learn from, uh, but we need to be compassionate and helpful through there, at the same time speaking truth. So. It's just a little bit of acknowledging we all have challenges we all have trials but as this text will show us god uses those for a specific plan and a specific purpose i'd like to give a little bit of context to the book of james before we delve into it so the title comes from james the half brother the brother of jesus i say half brother since uh you know they shared the same mother but jesus's father was his heavenly father of course uh, but so Jesus' brother, and during Jesus' earthly life, James was, was skeptical of Jesus' ministry. He was not one uh, that, that believed necessarily everything that Jesus was uh, teaching. As you read multiple accounts, that he was skeptical, specifically 1 Corinthians fifteen seven confirms that. However over time, after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, that he was an eyewitness of the resurrection and became a believer after that event. He was then considered a pillar of the early church along with Peter and John, that he was very influential in helping establish the new and early church and the individuals that were facing persecution encouraging their hearts in the midst of that. James was extremely zealous for prayer They nicknamed him James the Just, historians record, and that his knees looked like camel's knees because of all the calluses that were on there due to the amount of time that he spent devoted in prayer um, before the Lord. He was martyred in 62 AD, being thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and then beaten with clubs. Some call the book of James the New Testament Proverbs because of its emphasis on practical Christian living. One of the primary themes, as I've acknowledged, is perseverance in the midst of trials. So that's just a little bit of context. It's helpful to remember that as we read through scriptures, understanding it was authored by real people in real time to a real audience that has a message for them that equally applies to us. That James was inspired by the Holy Spirit, for those of us that have been doing the Family Connect and walking through uh, the London Baptist Confession, uh, that's, that's one thing that we acknowledge, is that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so this book was written by James, uh, the brother of Jesus, and that we will be focusing on persevering through the midst of trials. One thing that I found really interesting is was reading, this. I think it's very easy to just kind of brush through the, the introductions. If you look in your Bible, some of them in verse 1, it may have a heading saying introduction, or mine specifically says greetings. And we read james the servant of god of the lord jesus christ of the 12 tribes and the dispersion Greeks. and just kind of run through that and move on all right let's get to the meat of the text but there's some really significant aspects due to the introduction paul is the same time if you slow down and you read a lot of these introductions there's a lot of meat i know paul in particular a lot of times his greetings will actually be a very short gospel presentation in its entirety grace and peace to you read that it's really interesting here at james Some things know it says James, a servant, other translations may say a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, James was a skeptic during his earthly life, but became a believer after Jesus' resurrection. And here in this this letter that James is writing to this congregation, he acknowledges that Jesus Christ is both God and his Lord, and that he is a servant or a slave to them. He's taking a position of humility acknowledging no that wasn't my brother but that was God in the flesh that came the message that he brought was truth we should listen to it and therefore conform our lives to it he sets out the beginning of his letter that he's writing all of these truths this this uh, as they say this new testament proverbs because of the practical truths that it applies within the lens of Jesus Christ as Lord and the message that is shared through his gospel is truth. And that's the lens we need to be looking through these practical tools that he's giving us. As we move on, it says in verse two, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I know whenever I read that, I think, well, how is that possible? How can I do that? It says... For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Okay, so testing produces steadfastness. I understand that. And then I'm supposed to let steadfastness have its full effect, that I may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. Well, how am I supposed to let steadfastness have its full effect? How can I do that? How can I be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? Well, there's two ways to look at this, both which are true. Well, one, you can't unfortunately as we spend time here on earth in these lives that the Lord has blessed us with it is impossible for us to be perfect and complete lacking in nothing apart from the work of Jesus Christ we will always have a sin nature no matter how zealous you are for God's Word no matter the work that he's done in our lives we have that dual nature living within us where yes we are regenerated we are born new if God's Spirit dwells in us that we are no longer slaves to sin. However, we still live in a fallen world. We still have a sin nature. We will still be enticed by sin. And what are we gonna do about it? Well, verse two actually helps, gives us the information that we need. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Well, how are we supposed to count it joy when we face trials of various kinds? Especially whenever we're feeling uh, rather discouraged and hopeless, that we can't become completely perfect and not lacking anything. Well, the reality is R.C. Sproul puts it in this way. Trials can be considered pure joy only when there is knowledge that they are designed for a purpose. As we read this morning, Romans 8:28, we can acknowledge God is the one in control and working all things for good. God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's how we count it all joy. That's how we can become perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That's how we can persevere and remain steadfast in the midst of trials. It's because God is the one doing that work in us. Jesus Christ, the spirit that dwells in us, is the one that not only enables us to do that, but enables us to do that with joy finding hope because our hope is not set in our circumstances. It's not looking at the trials and the obstacles we're facing. It's looking at the person who has enabled us, who is orchestrating, who is allowing these things to take place for the greater good that we know will come through that. And as we go through life, so I was able just to celebrate my 31st birthday this past Monday, so I'm not that old, but I'm getting a little bit of experience under my belt. And as I get older, i can look back on circumstances of my life whether it's sinful choices that i've made or circumstances i've just been thrown into i say that loosely and acknowledge god has worked those for good that the trials i face daily right now god is working for good there is a plan and a purpose that is coming from that and that's how i can look back and say okay now I'm facing this trial now. It's hard right now. I don't know how I'm going to persevere through this. But I can look back and see, well, God has done this. He's done this. He's done this. He's done this. this. And it's a reminder that God is faithful and he will help me persevere through this trial. So we can find joy in the midst of it, knowing that God is the one allowing it to happen and that he has a plan and a purpose for why it is happening. Hang on, the wind blew my pages. Right, so as we move on, we're going to look in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That, that is a very straightforward application that I think everybody here, no matter what age you are, can understand. If you lack wisdom, ask God. God is generous, and he will give it to you without reproach. So what should we be doing? Asking for wisdom. You can never have enough wisdom. I don't know how many times you all face obstacles in your life where you're just like i don't know what to do i I, should i do this or should i do that and it's nice when it's only an a b choice sometimes you got the whole alphabetic choices to try and figure out what to do and it's really really hard so we should ask for wisdom if any of you ask wisdom let him ask god who gives generously without reproach and it will be given to him but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Well, how how can we ask in faith? How can we ask without any doubting? And how should we even go about asking? Is it simply praying, God, please give me wisdom, and then you just sit there, you know, with your hands behind your back, waiting for it? No. There's a responsibility that we have. There's that twofold nature of, of, I'll go back to, Paul says, by grace you're saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. So it's purely a work of God. Well, James, as he'll go on to say in the rest of the book, is show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by works. They're not contradictory statements. There's a part where God is the one responsible for doing a work in our life. There's the other part where we're responsible for working that out. And it's equally true here. When we ask for wisdom, God is the one that will give it to us. Yes, we turn in prayer. There's that passive aspect of where we ask for it. However, there's the other aspect where we need to be the boots on the ground. We need to be plodding along. Where do you find wisdom? Where do you find a, a growth in your faith? It's in God's word. We can glean wisdom through reading God's word. What is Proverbs? It's the, I mean, there's a the whole, the whole section of books, Proverbs and Psalms and Psalms psalms of solomon and others it's called wisdom literature read it you'll grow in wisdom that's one thing that we can be doing is we ask god but we also do our part and that will help us grow in not doubting the verbiage that's specifically used here verse 7 for that person will not well that person must not suppose that you will receive anything from the lord he is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways That verb is referring to that he's basically talking out both sides of his mouth. He's saying this will happen, but this could happen. It's A is true and B is also true. That's impossible. We need to know that whenever we turn to God, that God is who he is. He will make good on his promises and we trust him. And as we read his word, as we grow in his word, we're able to grow in that and understand that that is true. Verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. We can look at this and we understand the lowly brother boasts in his exaltation. The lowly brother is the Christian that assumes the position of humility, such as James is doing that we acknowledge in verse 1. God is who he is. Jesus Christ is who he is. And I am simply a servant of his. That God is the creator of all things. God is the sustainer of life. God is the one that breathed life into my nostrils, allowed me to live. God is the one that breathes life and air into the lungs of both the believer and the non-believer. That's common grace. Nobody's exempt from the grace of God every single human being that has ever lived on earth is living on earth and will live on earth regardless of what they believe however much they want to acknowledge God or they try to not acknowledge Him they are recipient of His grace because if they're sitting in this seat today if they're walking around, if they're breathing that is only possible because of the work that God has done and so the lowly brother acknowledges God is greater than I and He created me for a plan and a purpose and I'm going to live my life in accordance to that and that is wherefore we can boast in our exaltation because we're living to the glory of God. And whenever God calls us home, home our, our our small, fleeting life passes on and we go to be in eternity with him, we will get to rejoice in glory with him. However, the rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. His riches will burn up. There's two truths to glean here. Don't place your hope in riches, but more than that, don't place your hope in the things of this world. It doesn't matter how much money you have stocked away. It doesn't matter... How strong your house is when the storm comes. It doesn't matter that you have this or that you have that. If your hope is not in the Lord, you are not exempt from the trials that you will face. Again, Job is such a perfect example of this. Job had money. Job had livestock. Job had food. Job had family. Job had status. Job had all the things that the world would acknowledge. This is what you need. But what happened in the blink of an eye, it was taken away. There is nothing in this life that we can place our hope in that can give us confidence aside from the Lord himself. Because it doesn't matter what circumstances you face, those can change. You may be in one position of security today and tomorrow that's not the case. And we need to place our hope in the Lord just as Job did. Job was able to persevere in the midst of his trials because his hope was not in stuff. His hope was in the Lord. So we need to be reminded of that, that our things will pass away. Even if the Lord decides to prosper you and you have things for the duration of your life and you don't really face any trial that takes that away, eventually you're going to expire, you're going to die, and then somebody else gets your stuff. The writer of Ecclesiastes acknowledges that. It doesn't matter how much you build up. Eventually it's going to be somebody else's. And we need to have that sober-mindedness that these are these are tools. We don't need to look at people that have much and look at them as less than. That The church was guilty of that in the past, as they thought rich people were of the devil. And that's not the case. The Lord prospers some and humbles others. But we're all the body of Christ and mutually need to be using the things the Lord gives us for good. For the good of others and for the glory of God. So we need to acknowledge, we don't place our hope in things. We need to place our hope in the Lord and when we face trials that he will persevere us through that. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That word blessed there is actually, if you look at the the, the root word, I won't go into the the details of of what it is. But it's interesting. For some of us, it may call to mind if you read through um, the gospel specifically in, in Matthew and the Beatitudes. That Jesus says, blessed is the man, blessed is this, blessed is that. And it's the same word that's being used there. And that word in its original form is, is, is it tastes like joy and bliss. And so it's actually kind of interesting. I mean, when we read blessed here in, in the, the vernacular that we're familiar with, especially in Southern culture, uh, sometimes the word blessed is thrown around a lot. God bless you, child, bless this, bless that. And we kind of just take it as passive. But whenever we look at what it really means is to be joyous, to be blissful, in what in in the midst of trials again it's how do i do that we go back to what we acknowledge in verse two our hope is not in, in our circumstances but it's in the author and the finisher of our faith it's in jesus christ his spirit dwells in us our hope is is found in that and it's that 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 causes us to be joyful to be blissful in the midst of remaining steadfast because we remind ourselves god's spirit reminds us this trial that I'm going through is not all for naught. It's not such and such. This My coworker made this happen. My boss made this happen. My mother-in-law made this happen. My husband made this happen. My child made this happen. But God is not making it happen, allowing it to happen for a greater good and greater purpose. That may be the child who spills the milk as you're trying to get out of, out of the door for church. That may be your, when you're out to eat, which is I encountered last night, every single one of my children all of a sudden need to use the bathroom. And the bathroom is not the cleanest bathroom, but they gotta go again. That's a trial. Uh, it may be much greater trials that we're facing. It could be an illness, it could be cancer, it could be financial troubles, it could be whatever it is. We need to remember God is using this for a greater good. I was reading, I was listening to an audio book the other day. Uh, it's actually a while ago. Doesn't matter. Uh, called Christians Get Depressed Too, and it's really interesting because the author makes a point that uh, if if you are struggling with depression, God has you struggling with depression because that's where He wants you. And it's like, what? Like that sounds that's one very countercultural, but two also just. It, It doesn't make sense. And it doesn't necessarily mean that God wants you depressed. However, if that is where you are, wherever you are in that moment, God has you there because that's the absolute greatest good that he has for you at that moment. Otherwise, you would not be there. As we read in Romans 8, 28, God works all things for good. And God is sovereign. God is in control. God has a plan and a purpose for our life. And so where we're at then, now, is where he wants us. That does not negate the fact that we may be dealing with the consequences of our sinful choices, as we'll get into in the next several verses. We have a responsibility of reaping the consequences. If I decide to climb to the top of a tree, which would not be a pretty sight, but I can maybe do it, and I decide to jump out of that tree, and I break my leg... Did the devil make me do it? No. Did God make me do it? No. Did God break my leg? No. Whose fault is it that my leg is broken? Mine. Because it's a consequence of my poor choice. All right? But if I did that, God allowed that to happen for some reason. What it is, I don't know. Maybe as time goes on, I figure it out. Maybe I want it. Maybe I go to the hospital, and maybe I find somebody there, and I'm able to develop develop a relationship with them. I don't know. I have no idea, but that's something that I think we as believers need to be reminded of. There's no trial. There's no circumstance that we find ourselves in that God is, like, over here. And he's like, Sarah, you're over there. I'm over here. What did you do? How did you end up over there? This is where you're supposed to be. No, like, where we're at is where we're supposed to be because that's where God has us at that point in time. So we need to have a confidence in that. And again, we go back to finding joy in the midst of our trials. Our struggles that doesn't mean that's where we want to stay we don't force ourselves to be there well this is where god wants me so it's where i'm going to stay we still strive to dig ourselves out of that financial pit we still strive to not struggle with depression anymore but we remember god is with me in the midst of this trial god is walking me through the midst of this trial and our hearts should be encouraged and refreshed in that Hang on, okay um So blessed is the man who remains steadfast in trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. That crown of life that is being referred to there is a crown that was given to victors, specifically what it's referring to is eternal life. Okay? It doesn't mean that whenever you overcome a trial, as some false teachers would say, uh, I'm trying to remember how he puts it. It doesn't matter. I don't need 12 false teachers. Uh, but, um, It doesn't mean if If i just make it through this trial then i get the blessing it doesn't mean if i make it through this trial and the next trial then i get the blessing it doesn't mean that if i do a b c d all the way through z then i get a blessing that's not the case and as we read i was talking to a neighbor of mine the other day uh a lot of the people you read in the bible let's just look at james specifically what did james earthly life look like what did i how did he die he was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple to my knowledge did not die from that and then was beaten with clubs that was the the earthly crown he received for his life of of, uh, service to the lord okay i pray that that doesn't happen to us but we need to have a sober-mindedness that could happen to us and as we're laying on the ground getting beaten with clubs we need to remember this is the greatest good that the lord could possibly have for me in that moment all right but, anyways, I digress. Right, my back. point is, let me see if I remember my point. I'm sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, that that crown of life, life is eternal life. It, it doesn't matter what circumstances we face in this, this earthly life. life. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter, it matter what trials life. we go through. Our hope is not here. Our hope it's is there in glory with God. Our reward is not that we get to, as some, some imagine, fly around with angels wings. I don't think that's the case. Our is it isn't that necessarily there's there's no more sin and heartache it doesn't mean we don't have any more money troubles the glory that we have when we go to die for those who believe is getting to be in the presence of the God that created you if you really understand that God is the essence of all things good all things lovely all things beautiful all things the best of is is in him To get to be in the presence of that, that is the greatest good. And then the flip side of that coin is for those that do not place their faith in Jesus Christ, it's not that they're going to burn in hell. It's not the flames. It's not the torment. What is so torturous about it is separation from that greatest good. That whether an unbeliever acknowledges it or not, you are reaping the benefits of who God is, as I acknowledged earlier, right now. He's sustaining you. He's giving you food. He's giving you clothing. Even for people who live in impoverished countries, he's giving you your breath each day. But whenever that presence is removed from you, I don't even want to imagine what that will be like. It's separated from the only true source of good and being in an area of the exact opposite of that. So we need to understand that crown of life, our hope, is in the glory to come. And it's a here and now. We don't need to be so heavenly minded. Gosh, I can't wait to die. That we're no earthly good. We need to be so heavenly minded that we're more earthly good. We acknowledge this is not my home. There's a greater good, a greater glory, a new heavens and a new earth that's coming. And I want you to be there. And I want you to be there. And we should feel encouraged to share the gospel with other people, recognizing that person that you brush shoulders with in the grocery store is not just Joe nobody that's going to go about their life and die and be in the ground. That's Joe somebody that's made in the image of God. That is either going to live in eternity and the bliss with the presence of Jesus Christ as creator or separated from that. That call is to me as well. We need to share the gospel. We need to share truth. And how do we do that? It's building relationships. We need to be involved in other people's lives. Let me, let me pick up. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted for God by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. There's such a great promise in here. Is That verbiage should let us know, God can't be tempted with evil. So the old cartoons that some of us may use to watch with the angel on the shoulder and the devil on the shoulder, that's not reality. You don't have God and Satan there duking it out to see who's going to win. Satan is not a, a co-equal with God. God is the only eternal being, and Satan and Everything else that has ever existed is a created being, okay? Satan was created by God as an angel that chose to rebel, but he's still a created being. He does not usurp the power of God. He does not above God. Again, I'll go back to Job. That Job was a righteous man, seen in the eyes of God. And Satan challenges God, saying, is he really? And God is an infinite wisdom. basically says, this is my paraphrase, Let's see. Go ahead. You can do what you want to him. Just don't harm his life. And we we see what happens. And who got the glory in the end? God did. Who was right? God was. What happened with Satan? What happened with Job? Job came out on the other side more prosperous, more assured that God is who he is. God got the glory. And Satan was simply used as a pawn to accomplish God's greater good. Okay? So we need to remember that. I've read an analogy before that it's like a blacksmith. For those of us that are familiar with blacksmiths. There aren't many of them around, but that they they stick a a piece of metal and fire and it heats up. God is a blacksmith, so to speak. Analogies always break down at some point. But and we're the metal. God is shaping us, and Satan's merely the hammer that he's using to chisel us into the image that he wants us to be. Okay? So the the sinful things that happen in this life are merely circumstances that God uses for a greater good. Now, let me, let, me, let me clean up some of the holes that could be in that with the following verses, all right? Please follow along with me. So God is not tempted, cannot be tempted with evil. God is the same today, tomorrow, and yesterday. God is immutable. He never changes. Nothing can sway his mind. God will always do what he has set out to do, okay? So we need to find peace in that, all right? And as we move on, so God is not the one that tempts us. But verse 14 says, but each person is tempted When he is lured and enticed by Satan. Is that what it says? No. It doesn't say the devil made me do it. Verse 14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desires. It is my own sinful desires that tempt me and lure me away. I am a sinful being. You all are sinful beings. We are born with a sin nature because we are all descendants of Adam and Eve. And because of the fall... Adam and Eve chose to rebel against what God told them to do. And therefore, everybody else after them has been born with a sin nature. It says that in the Psalms. That in, in, in my emphasis let me find the, the specific verse. It doesn't matter. I'm spending too much time. But, but the psalmist and other texts affirm we are born into sin. Our parents were born into sin. Every human being is born into sin. Okay? And so what does that mean? We will have a propensity to chase after sin to not use big words, we're going to go headlong chasing after sin our whole lives apart from God doing a work in our lives. It is only in the indwelling of his spirit that, that like a railroad tracks pull that lever and the gears switch to a different direction. Aside from that, we will be running headlong into sin because it's our own desire. Okay? Does Satan and, and temptation play a role in that? Yes, we'll get into that, but that's not the sole purpose. The devil does not make me do it. I am responsible for that. Verse 15 goes on to say, So we're enticed by our own desire. then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We need to understand that whenever we face sinful desires, what is a sinful desire? Anything that's contrary to the word of God. So what does that mean? We need to know the word of God to know what's contrary to the word of God, to know if the desire you're having is sinful. It's really that simple. And we need to trust that God's spirit is the one that's going to help us with that. But we need to know the word to know what God has called us to do and what God has told us not to do. So that way then as we are making choices, we have the wisdom to make the right choice. All right. But whenever you have a sinful desire, we need to recognize there's a process that goes along with that. And that we need to do all that we can through God's spirit to divert that process before we give into that desire. It's one thing to have a desire. It's one thing to have the thought. It's the one thing to have the feeling associated with that thought. It's another thing to act on it. So we need to understand ourselves well enough. This desire that I'm having is contrary to the word of God. And what should we do? Turn to God in prayer. Flee from the circumstances. Call out to a brother and sister in Christ and ask for help. And pray and do whatever necessary to not give in to that sinful desire. Because what happens? The desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. So when you give in to desire, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Sin will always lead us on a fast track to separation from God. There is no white lie. There's no white sin. There's no small sin. Every single sin is always trying to thrust a wedge and pry us away from God and send us away from Him. And the more that we give into it, well, it's just once, it's just once, it's just once. Before you know it, that snowball's out of control. And you're running down the fast track, separated from God, and maybe looking back, being like, wow, how did I get here? All right, It will always lead to death. We need to understand sometimes it's a physical death. Our sinful circumstances, our sinful choices, the drug addiction that I used to struggle with, it's only by God's grace that it didn't kill me. But sinful choices like that and many other sinful choices can lead to a physical death, but more than that, they can lead to a spiritual death. You may not be secure in Christ and it'll lead you headlong further and further away from him. We need to understand that, that sin is not a small thing to be dealt with, all right? That it's something that we need to understand. We need to turn to the Lord for help. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do not be deceived. It's not God that makes you sin. Do not be deceived. It's not the devil that makes you sin. Do not be deceived that apart from the Lord, I'm a good person. Brothers and sisters, I hate to break it to you. But somebody who is not in Christ is incapable of doing good. People who are in sin apart from Christ cannot do good. Well you may say, Stephen, well how do you how do you know that? Let me find the verse. I don't know it off the top of my head. Bear with me, please. I have it in my notes. First Corinthians ten thirty one. Do all for the glory of God is essentially what that says. You can turn there and read the context, it's helpful. Uh, But basically, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, okay? So what is whatever? It's everything, okay? Everything we do should be done for the glory of God. What happens when it's not done for the glory of God? It's done for the glory of self. It's idolatry, idolatry. is what I'm trying to get at, okay? So anything that you're doing apart from the sheer motive of the glory of God is idolatry and it's sinful. So that's how I can say that anybody who's not in Christ is incapable capable of doing good. It doesn't matter if they're going to feed the poor. Can God use that? Absolutely. I should say feed the hungry. It doesn't matter if they're going to clothe the poor. It doesn't matter if they're building houses. It doesn't matter if they're building hospitals. Is that an earthly good? Absolutely. Does God use un... Unre- it just went out, didn't it? I have to talk louder. Does God use unregenerate people to accomplish His plan and purpose? Absolutely, He does. But is it ultimately good? No, it's not because it's not done for the glory of God. All that we do should be done for the glory of God because God is the author and sustainer of life. And so we need to acknowledge we can only do good because God's spirit is the one doing work in us to allow that good to flow out from us. He's the one that gets the credit for all good. Okay, so even when we do good, it's not us that did good. It's God's spirit that did it in us. All right, so we don't need to take the attaboy. Look at me and how great I am. All glory to God. Please don't be that religious person that actually verbalizes it. But in your head, in your heart, you need to acknowledge it's God that's doing the work. Okay? And submit to that. Play a part in that. Seek to do that knowing that God is the one that will get the glory. Let me wrap up here. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So every good gift and every perfect is from God. God is the author of good. God is the one that brings good down on his children, both believers and non-believers, as of acknowledged. And there is no variation of change due to him. Again, I go back to God does not change. I think for us, I know I've said it twice, but it should be a confidence builder. It should give us peace in mind. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, get tired of how fast things change? There's a song by a hip-hop artist, Christian hip-hop artist, Shailen, that he says, even as I've been singing the song, I've changed. As I've been up here speaking to you, I've changed. I have less or more hair on my head. I don't know, depends on what side of the mountain I'm on. My skin cells have changed. My DNA has changed. Every single one of you have changed. What about the world we live in? Each day you turn on the news, something has changed. Things are constantly changing. And it can be stressful, it can be overwhelming. But we need to remember, God does not change. We should take a breath of fresh air and just relax knowing that god doesn't change god is the author of good god will work his plans and purposes for his glory verse 18 of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth god is the one that brought us forth god is the one that brings us from death to life a dead person is incapable of reaching out for that life raft for god to save him do not be deceived jesus is not throwing us a life raft and saying come on come on swim to it swim to it god is the one that does a work in our lives we're dead at the bottom of the ocean and he brings us up he breathes life into our dead hearts and sets us on the right path all right so we need to know god is the one responsible for bringing us to new life god will be the one responsible for those that are sitting there hardened in their hearts bringing them to new life we need to be responsible in our part at preaching the word telling truth living life on life with people being compassionate, being patient, and being there for other people. But God does all of that. It's like it says, I forget what scripture it is, but for women, if you live with an unbelieving husband, let your quiet spirit be what does that work in his life. It's not even always our words that does it. It's that quiet, submissive spirit. It's just being there with somebody that God can use for them to be like, gosh, I hate who I am. How are you like who you are? What's different? And a change is brought about in their hearts that way. So we need to understand that God doesn't change. God is the one that brings us from death to life. And how does He does it? Do it. The word of truth. We need to know God's word. We need to know his truth. So that way we, we can not only speak it, but more than that, we can live it. It so saturates our minds and our hearts that we just do it. Like Nike, just do it. All right? We need to understand it's it's yes, I said Nike. Um we need to just have that be a part of who we are, where it's not constantly dredging up. Should I do this or should I not? It's just so woven into you that you know, yeah, even though I don't feel like having to go to this other church and inconvenience my wife and my kids, I need to do it because it's a good thing to do. No, I don't necessarily feel like going digging fence posts to help my neighbor do this, but I need to do it. No, I don't want to do this, but I need to do it. No, I don't want to wake up this morning and go and sit in the heat and the humidity, like sucking air through a wet blanket, But I need to do it because it brings glory to God and it's good for my soul. It's we have a responsibility to do there. And so we know God's word and it penetrates our hearts to where we do what we need to do. That we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. When God's word so penetrates our hearts, we know who our our Savior is. Our hearts will be so changed that we will be a first fruit. As you read in the Old Testament and, and the law and Deuteronomy, they were called to set aside their greatest goods, their money. their their produce, their livestock, and devote it to God. He got the best. That's the same with us. We should give God our best, okay? It can be hard sometimes. God's the one that gave you the money that you have. God's the one that gave you the house that you have, the clothes you have, the car that you have, whatever it is, it's his. Give him what's due his. And not only is it stuff, more than that, our lives should be lived as a first fruit. I am only alive today because God has allowed me to live therefore every element of my life needs to be lived for his glory it's not I got alright I'll give you my Sunday the rest is mine it's not alright God I'll give you my Sunday and Wednesday or Sunday and Thursday and the rest is mine it's not alright God I'll give you Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday and Sunday but Saturday's mine every single waking hour and sleeping hour of your life needs to be lived For the glory of God because he's the one that gave you life he's the one who has a plan and a purpose from all time and we simply get the privilege of riding the coattails of the greater work that he's doing live your life for the glory of God he's going to use you whether you like it or not you might as well enjoy it right you might as well live for his glory and enjoy that fellowship than the rebellion and the consequences that come from it and remember your life whether you like it or not people are watching and they're going to learn from that I had my neighbor tell Pastor Eric that she's watched me playing in the yard with my kids and has been blessed by that. I need to remember whenever my kids aren't getting in the car when I want them to, I need to not lose my temper because somebody's watching. You know what I mean? Behind closed doors and out in the open, people will learn from what we're doing. Live your lives for the glory of God. Know God's word. Ask for wisdom. When you face trials, know God is using it for a greater good and be encouraged by that, all right? For us who are believers, we should be refreshed by this message. For anybody who's here who's not in Christ, you should not be refreshed by this message because you don't have that same hope, all right? You're gonna face trials and it's all for naught. You're gonna face struggles and you have no hope. You're gonna die and you're gonna live in separation from God. There's no hope in that, all right? It doesn't matter that science is saying, well, this is really true and when you die, you go and be in the ground. It's hogwash. All right, this that we have here, no matter how many holes people think they can shoot in it, their conclusions are wrong, God's word is true. The creator of all things knows what he's doing. We need to be patient and grow in our knowledge so our knowledge lines up with his. All right, let me just cut myself off, otherwise I'll just keep talking. I appreciate you guys, I'm grateful to be up here. I'm grateful for my church family. As a brief aside, we are privileged to be a part of this church family. As I've had the opportunity to travel to other churches and preach there and I'm sure our pastors could attest it any of that much more there are so many churches in our community the Greater Lake area probably I'd be willing to bet there's very little time spent in here there may be a verse that's read, and then it's some tactful message that's given some theme or whatever we need to be encouraged that our pastors are leading us through this so that way we can know God's Word We need to understand that no maybe circumstances being out here aren't always the best but we have it a lot better than other places so let me pray for us god i thank you so much for the opportunity for us to be here i thank you for this church i thank you for the leadership that makes up this church and the trajectory we're on lord i pray that you would bless them and you would encourage them you would refresh them lord i pray the same for every man woman and child here that we would be refreshed knowing that you use trials for good lord that you have us where you have us for a plan and a purpose and we should seek your face in the midst of that Lord I pray for anybody who is not in you Lord that you would do the work necessary to overcome their hard-heartedness Lord that they would seek you out through you doing a work in their lives Lord so I pray that you would use this truth that we've learned from James today to penetrate our hearts and our minds as we go throughout this week Lord and you would build on it and that you would just use the sanctification process knowing we're constantly dying to sin we will constantly have further to go But Lord, you are faithful to do that work. Please refresh us. Help us find hope in you, Lord. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's a very short song, so we'll sing it twice through.